Chapter Five of An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. Look here," said Myas. "You must see the rest of my bachelor establishment." He opened the folding doors at the end of the room. Here, for example, we observe my dining room furnished by Tottenham Court Road for thirty-five pounds, and looking exactly like a dining-room which has been furnished by Tottenham Court Road for thirty-five pounds. "'What do you want a dining-room for?' I said. "'You can't possibly feed here.' "'Can and do,' said Myas. I walked to the window, which opened down to the floor. From it an iron staircase led down to a narrow slip of ground, which was by way of being a garden. A gardener would call it a backyard. It was a weary, cat-haunted spot between high and blackened walls, but I noticed that there were two fine old mulberry trees in it. There was also a newly erected building looking somewhat like a studio. This was raised a little from the ground with three steps up to the door of it. I asked Myas what it was. "'That's where I do my work. That door in the wall at the further end of the garden opens into Durnford Place. Durnford Place runs parallel to Knox Street, and I'm not quite sure whether Durnford Place is at the back of Knox Street or vice versa.' "'Both, I should imagine.' Anyhow, it's a very useful door, for it enables me, and incidentally my friends, to get up to my rooms without going through Mrs. Lade's part of the house. When you come to see me again, as I hope you will soon, you must come in that way. I've had a new lock fitted to it, and I'll give you a latch-key. I pocketed the latch-key, and said that the confidence he showed in me was pleasing. What I shall do, of course, will be to let myself in and burgle your workroom. There I shall reap the fruit of your researches, anticipate your discoveries, and subsequently enjoy the fame which you wrongly suppose is coming to you. You couldn't do it. You are far too much of a duffer at that kind of thing. What you found inside the workroom would be incomprehensible to you. For that reason, I won't trouble you with a workroom at present. Could you be bothered to climb up more stairs in order to see the most absolutely ordinary bedroom that Tottenham Court Road has ever achieved? Certainly not. Well, there is one more thing you must see, just across the passage here. He opened a door. This is my kitchen, electric, as you observe. And does she cook here? No, idiot. The cooking which is done here I do myself. It was easy to believe this. Cooking was one of the things which he took seriously. He was doubtless acquainted with the practice as well as the theory of it. Well, I said, I confess that I don't see your game. I suppose you built that place in the garden. You have redecorated these rooms. You have put in electric light and heating and a telephone. You have filled them up with a lot of fair-to-middling furniture. 
now in six months you'll be sick of this and will start off on your travels again do you suppose you'll ever see your money back there is probably nobody on the face of the earth except yourself who wants to live over a tobacconist shop in knox street no my practical friend i don't suppose i shall see my money back but i wanted to live here for reasons which i have already given you and i had to make the place possible but it is by no means certain that i shall be leaving in six months and i might quite possibly remain here for the rest of my life after all living here is absurdly cheap it cost me twenty times as much in paris oh yes i am quite satisfied with what i've done so far as expenditure is concerned i wish i had nothing else to worry me he seemed quite pleased with the electrical toys in his kitchen and insisted on showing me how they worked although i told him that he was talking like a man at an exhibition and becoming very wearisome then we went back into the sitting-room and he rang the bell for tea it was miss laid who brought the things in and arranged them on a low table by the fire she did not look once at either of us maya stopped her as she was turning to go do wait and pour out tea for us he said i want to present to you a great friend of mine mr compton she murmured something unintelligible and seemed a little in doubt whether she should shake hands i settled the question for her her hands did not look as if she did much rough work i believe it is said to be the test of a gentleman that he is at ease under all circumstances and in all society if this be the case i am emphatically not a gentleman at this extraordinary tea-party i was not at my ease at all i did my best but it was poor i wanted to talk to miss Lade, and not only because she was a very pretty girl and the only mutual ground that i could find on which we might meet was the mulberry trees in the garden at the time of the revolution french exiles came to london and there planted mulberry trees notably in st john's wood and to a lesser extent in fulham so i told her and i dare say it may be true i heard with great interest that the mulberries did actually ripen and i made her promise to send me some of them in due season she was certainly very shy but i should say appeared considerably less of a fool than i did she poured out tea very nicely myas said little and did not help a bit after a while things went more easily and i got her to talk about herself she spoke of a theater to which myas had taken her she told me that at one time she had been very fond of lawn tennis but that she could not find time for it any longer she had a very pleasant voice and great simplicity two things which i have always especially admired she was absolutely free from affectation there was not the slightest attempt to make an impression of any kind i should think she was with us for about half an hour then she rose and said that her mother was going out and that she would have to attend to the shop 
I tried to help her as she was taking away the tea things, but she would not let me do anything. Myas did not even attempt to do anything. He had sat back in his easy chair all the time and watched us through the smoke of his cigarette, as if we were doing an interesting scene in a play for his benefit. It was scandalous behavior. Well, he said when she had gone. Leave her alone, I said. Then he spoke with a good deal of emphasis, almost with excitement. Look here, my dear fellow, you misunderstand this altogether. I don't blame you for that. You take the ordinary view, and any other man of your blessed pattern would take the same. I'll go further than that. If you were in my position, I should give you exactly the same advice that you have just given me. But, as it happens, what you say is absolutely beside the point. The things that you imagine are not concerned in the question in the least. I'm not going to make love to that girl. Understand that, definitely. I told you over the telephone that I was worried and depressed, and so I am. And that girl is principally concerned in it. But most emphatically, not for the reason which you would suppose. I'm no good at mysteries, I said. If the trouble is not what I think, I don't pretend to understand what it is. But I do profess to know something about human nature. Your intentions are excellent, of course, but in a case like this there is often a marked difference between a man's intentions and his conduct. I will flatter you so far as to tell you that you're not an ordinary man. Still, you're a human being. Admitted, I do not profess to have lived the life of an anchorite hitherto. But I am telling you the exact truth when I say that nothing exists now for me but my work, and that this girl troubles me only in so far as she is connected with my work. And if I do as I wish, she will be very intimately connected with it. Oh, very well, I said. But there's another thing to think about. For the last half hour or so, I have been watching that girl in here. If she is not very much in love with you, I'm mistaken, and I know nothing. Myas seemed to reflect for a minute. Then he said with conviction, I hope she is. I hope to goodness she is. If she is not, she is not likely to be of much use to me. I give it up. I don't understand you. No, said Myas, but you will one of these days. How? How? echoed Myas. Well, you will understand, because either that girl or myself will give you the explanation. As I rose to go, I pressed him to come and see me some time. He said that he would if he could, but that he was very busy now, and it was a long way to come. "'It is,' I said. "'But I should like to point out that the distance from Knox Street to St. James's Place is exactly the same as the distance from St. James's Place to Knox Street, which distance I have covered this very afternoon.' He said that I was a man of leisure, and that time, distance, and taxicabs were all as nothing to me. 
I was to come again. He generally knocked off work for an hour or two in the afternoon. I had my latch key. I left him with the uncomfortable feeling that I had been spending the afternoon with a friend of mine who was by way of being a blackguard. I did not suppose that he was a typical deceiver and seducer, but he did seem to me to be a man absolutely without scruple where his work was concerned. I did not like his business with Valsame. I did not like the way he was treating Alice Lade. What business had he to make use of her fondness for him, for his own purposes? That she was fond of him I had no doubt whatever. She looked at me with candid and friendly eyes, but when her eyes met his they became timorous and perturbed, and the long lashes flickered. The one saving grace of the man was that he was really worried about what he was doing. If he was indeed without scruple, it was with great difficulty that he had brought himself to that point. About a month later I rang up Myas on the telephone and suggested that I should come to see him that afternoon. He replied that he was very sorry, but that work which it was impossible to leave would occupy him the whole of that afternoon. He would come to see me. But he did not come to see me. It was in June that I received from him a rather curious letter in which he announced his engagement to Alice Lade. End of chapter 5